The title of our sermon today is Fast Track to Jerusalem Part 2. We're going to finish up kind of what we did last week. And we're entering into chapter 21. And in chapter 21 is going to continue the story of how Paul got from Ephesus to Jerusalem. So I want to start by reading it today. So go ahead and follow along with me. We're going to read um, verse 1 through 26. It says, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and stale, sailed straight to Chaos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus, we passed to the south of it. We sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After he had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord, Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He and his family from Cyprus, he was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what, had, what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, you see how many thousands of Jews have believed. All of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers... We have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, 
from blood, from the meat strength from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took them in and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Now, we're going to stop there, but look at the title of the next section, Paul Arrested. That's, that's the information we need to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So, look at your notes, and, and I want to talk about many, many things today. There's so many things in this passage that are very interesting. Some of them have lessons attached to them, some don't, but there's just detail after detail and, and, and thing after thing, and if we read it too quickly, we might miss some. So I want to talk about each one and see what we can learn from them. So the first thing I want you to realize, it's in your notes, Acts 21, 1 through 16, the first long section. Luke gives us a geographical and chronological context. He, he tells us how they got to Jerusalem in time and space. How long did it take? Where did you stop? What was the route you took? Just kind of filling in the hole because he's telling a story. It's a narrative. And so he's filling in the gaps. This is how we got there. And on the way, he tells us some things that happened. So we have the geographical and chronological context as well as an accurate accounting of important events and people. And it's important to realize this is accurate. The details are, are true. They're, they're exactly what happened, in the order they happened, and it's how it happened. And the details give us a lot of insights. So this is the context we need to know about as we move to Paul's arrest in Jerusalem. That's the next big event in Paul's life. So we have an accurate accounting, so we can trust what it says. So with that accurate accounting and that context given... Number one in your notes, things not to miss, and there's several of them here. So from verse one, we see the phrase, after we had torn ourselves away. And, and the word for your blank is emotional. This is an emotional connection. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. They, they had a, a, a long, difficult goodbye. It, it wasn't a, hey, Paul, thanks for coming. See you later. Maybe next time. You know, sorry we never got together. It was It was emotional. It shows the attachment that they had. And, you know, today's world, we're, we're moving away from emotional, personal attachments. We're moving toward Facebook friends and, and Twitter accounts and things like this. And less face-to-face -face contact, less conversations. We're moving away from that emotional connection. And we really need to make sure we're not doing that among, among ourselves, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We probably need to make sure we're not doing that out in the world, too, because, you know, we need, to, we need to be ambassadors, but mostly in our church, in our church family. And, and I just want you to know that, that Paul, in the three years he was there, he made these connections. And, and everywhere he went, he made these connections. So we tore ourselves away from them. The family connection, the friendship connection, the ministry partner connection, these are all important. We see it in Paul's life. So there's a, a, a minor lesson to learn there. We need those connections. But verse 4, we go on, and this is after they landed in Tyre. It says, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. They sought out the disciples. And, and the word that goes in that blank is vacation. Paul was never on vacation. And, and this is another minor little lesson, but to me this is kind of important. Because I think we can think in terms of, I'm on vacation from God. 
I'm going to go on a trip. I'm not going to be in church. I'm on vacation from God. So while I'm gone, my normal routine of morning devotions, praying with the family, um, uh, these kinds of things, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them go while I'm on vacation. And, and Paul was on a trip, if you will. He's, he's got a destination in mind. His, his singular goal right now is to get to Jerusalem. But when he found out he's going to be entire seven days, he sought out the believers. He sought them out to find them. It, it makes me think of when we were on the K-Love cruise. That's something Teresa and I got to do for our 25th anniversary. I'd recommend it to anybody. But we went there, and it was a, an atmosphere that was very unexpected and, and very encouraging when we realized we're on a boat with a bunch of Christians. The, they, they led the first meal. They, they led the prayer for the first meal on the microphone in the dining hall. And we sat down with people, and our conversations were about God, churches, ministries, families, and we're perfect strangers we're, we're having to be torn away from the table because they need to seat the next people because we're so enjoying fellowship. Having people pray for us, it was, it was just so different. And, and, you know, you go on a cruise, you think, hey, I'm just going to go enjoy myself, and then we were ministered to and had a chance to minister to others. We're never on vacation spiritually. I think now of when we, we do get away, like when we went to um, Amish country just a little while back, we we're going to be there over a Sunday, and, and there was no question we were going to go to church somewhere. As it turns out, we got to go to Andrew and Chelsea's church. And, and we drove three and a half hours to get there, which means we had to leave awfully early on Sunday morning to get there for Sunday school. We didn't just go to church, we went to Sunday school too. And we could have easily said, man, it's three and a half hours, we'll just get there, we'll meet them for lunch or dinner or whatever, and not worry about that, but... No, we're going to go to church, and, and we try. We're not always successful, but we try to go to a church somewhere. It's usually my job to find a church. And I get online, and I read doctrinal statements, and I watch videos, and I listen to sermons, and I, I try to find a church we can go to. Because we're never on vacation. I remember as a kid, we'd go to the cabin. And, and I just remember little snippets, but we'd, we'd drive into Gray Eagle, and we'd go to this little church that I, I think met in the basement of a store or something. I don't know. But we went to church. And that needs to be something that's just a part of our life. We're, we're, not, we're not skipping out. They sought out the believers. That means that they didn't know where they were. They may not have even known who they were. But Paul said, we've got seven days here. Let's go find the believers. Let's fellowship with them. Let's encourage them. Let's see what we can do. We get that same type of thing when we go to men's roundup. We go to women's camp. Uh, the, the, the CBA conference that the deacons go to, things like that. I, I think the kids get that when they go to Trout Creek Bible Camp. We need to seek out other believers. That's what we're trying to do with men's breakfast. That's part of the, the design behind the ladies' one-day retreat. Getting believers together for fellowship and encouragement and getting to know one another. That was one of the things about the, working at the fair that was so good. So, we have the emotional attachment... We have the connection that we need. We're never on vacation. See in your notes, also from verse 4, it says, Through the Spirit they urged. And, and I want to read this to you. It says, Through the Spirit they urged Paul, urge Paul not to go, not to go on to Jerusalem. A and it's interesting, and we're going to stop here for just a, just a minute. Through the Spirit they urged. Through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go. What, 
What from the Spirit made them urge Paul not to go? Well, it was a message from the Spirit. They received a message from the Spirit. We're not told what the message is. We're, we're not told. Luke doesn't spell out the message because we can assume correctly that they got the same message Paul had gotten. That God is not going to give Paul a message and say, this is what you're going to do, and give them a message contrary. So we look back at Acts 20, 23, okay? And it says, I know only, excuse me, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. In every city, Paul says, in every city I go to, when I'm praying, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, he tells me, hey, prison and hardship are coming. Prison means an arrest. There's going to be an arrest. You're going to go to prison. It's going to be very difficult. Paul says, I get that message everywhere I go. So in Acts 20, 23, we have the exact message given to Paul. It, we, have, we have exactly what he's told. We have that exact message. In Acts 21, 4 that we just read, we never get the message. We're not given the message, just their conclusion. All right? And I want to tell you, let's go back up to the line that says, verse 4, it says, wrong conclusion. This was the right message. It was the wrong conclusion. The message that Paul received and the message they received was the same. Paul got the message, hey, you're going to be arrested, you're going to go to prison, and things are going to get really hard. Why would God give him that message? So he could prepare. So he could pray over it. So he could think about it. So he could work on his attitude ahead of time. It was a blessing to know this. So that he could determine, I'm going to Jerusalem anyway. I know that's where God wants me to go. I'm going to go. I'm not going to fight it. Whatever God brings me, that's what we're going to do. He can start claiming the promises. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Whenever there's a temptation or a trial, I'm going to provide a way for you to be successful and stand up under it. So Paul could prepare. Why would he tell these people? Well, it wasn't so they could urge him not to go. It wasn't so they could give him the exact opposite message that God had been giving him. The reason they received the message was so that they could come alongside Paul and say, Hey, Paul, the message we got is the same message you got, so we can be sure. This is confirmation, and we can't stop it, but we can pray about it. Let's pray. Let, let's, uh, let's take up a collection for you because you're going to need some extra funds if you're going to be in prison. Uh, as soon as we hear you've been arrested, we're going to gather up and we're going to send you some supplies. They could have rallied around Paul. They could, have, they could have lifted him up and encouraged him, but they didn't. They said, no, don't go. So they got the, the right message, but they got the wrong conclusion. So three new notes. God's purpose was to encourage, not stop Paul. So this is an accurate account of an incorrect interpretation of God's message. That's why we started at the beginning saying that this is an accurate account of the events that happened. Luke is telling us the truth of what happened, and the truth is that these people heard from God and they drew the wrong conclusion. They didn't wind up where they should have wound up. Their next notation is verse 11 and 12, and we'll just refer to it now. This is after Agabus gives his prophecy. Agabus says, hey, um, your hands and feet will be bound, and you'll be turned over to the Gentiles. That's new information. You're going to be turned over to the Gentiles. It's not just the Jews. It's going to be the Gentiles. This was also the correct message. It came directly from God. Agabus was a prophet, and he spoke for God. This was the correct message. Again, they drew the wrong conclusion. 
their reaction was, no, don't go. Hey, Paul, if God told you you're going to be arrested in Jerusalem, here's, the, here's an idea. Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, no, I have to go to Jerusalem. No, no, you don't. You're going to get arrested. Well, if I get arrested in Jerusalem, it's God's will because God's sending me there. I need to go there. No, you can't go there. They also had the, the wrong response. And that's, that's, we're gonna, there's a lesson there we're going to talk about in a little bit. But we shouldn't miss that in the reading. Uh, number D in your notes, verses 8 and 9, it refers to Philip the Evangelist. And, and we can read this through, oh, there's some guy named Philip the Evangelist. Yay, one of the seven. wonder who they were. Well, I wonder who they were. Who were the seven? Who's Philip? Well, let's go back. In your notes, I made the references for you. In Acts 6, 5, Philip was one of the seven original deacons. That's the seven. The seven deacons who were put in charge of food distribution to make sure nobody got left out. Philip was one of them. One of, he was one of two or three that were named. In Acts 8, 5, Philip fled from Jerusalem and preached in Samaria. After Stephen was martyred and, and all the... All the believers fled. Philip was one of the ones who fled. Remember, the, the apostles stayed and, and many of the others fled. He fled and he went to Samaria, but he preached the gospel in Samaria. He preached the gospel. In Acts 8.26, Philip was sent by God to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. He got on the chariot and he evangelized the eunuch on the chariot, the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian eunuch was saved and then baptized. And then miraculously, Philip was transported somewhere else. And it says, then, then he, he went to Caesarea preaching the gospel all the way in every city that he went through. So he was, even in the very beginning, he was preaching the gospel. But by now, he's known as the evangelist. So he wound up in Caesarea. It looks like he took up roots there. And he, he got married and raised a family. He may have been married, may have had kids when he got there, but he has four daughters now. It looks like he settled in there. And now his title, everyone knows him as Philip the Evangelist. So Philip the deacon became Philip the Evangelist, okay? Also in verse 8 and 9, it says that he, who's Paul, Paul reached Caesarea, where Philip is, and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. And I want you to realize, I want you to kind of make the connection the reason Philip left Jerusalem was because of Paul. When he was known as Saul, and he was a Pharisee, and he was in effect a terrorist. When he was killing Christians, Philip fled. So Philip fled Paul's persecution when, before he got saved. Now, years later, Paul is a welcome guest in Philip's home. All right? So the word in your blank there is persecuted. He went to stay in the home of Philip the Evangelist, whom he had previously persecuted. And, and the lesson here is, is, is pretty simple. Salvation makes friends out of enemies. Salvation makes friends out of enemies and partners out of combatants. Philip's enemy in the beginning was Paul, and Paul Saul was a combatant. Salvation changes everything. And that's just really awesome that that's included in the story so we can see the transformation. Uh, a, a Philip, who was once afraid of Paul, now welcomes him into his home. E in your notes, verse 9, still, it says he, now we're talking about Philip. Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. 
Unmarried is more of an indication of their age. They were probably all four too young to marry, but, but even beyond that, they were living in Philip's home with his wife, so his family, his family lived there. In the family, there was four unmarried daughters, and they prophesied. Now, this introduces a new topic, something new we need to talk about. Prophecy, prophets, Old Testament, New Testament. In your notes, it says this, another transition is taking place from the Old Testament prophet into the New Testament prophet. So an Old Testament prophet heard from God directly. God usually said, say these words too. Go tell the king this. Go tell the people this. Go do this as a symbol of this message. Here's the message I want you to share. And, and the Old Testament prophet, what they said often became scripture, but they were giving brand new information to specific people about certain things. It was usually, hey, Israel, this is how you're behaving, and here's how God's going to respond. Hey, king, this is how you're behaving, this is how God's going to respond. So the Old Testament prophet almost always foretold the future in some way, gave a coming judgment, gave a coming blessing, almost always spoke in those terms. And so the Old Testament, that was the prophet. Now the New Testament prophet, you get beyond the book of Acts, you move into the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is not speaking a new message from God. It's teaching the previously given message from God. It's, this is what Scripture says, this is what Jesus taught, this is how the Old Testament is to be interpreted, this is what the doctrines say, this is how it applies to your life. It's a teaching ministry. So when Paul said, I don't want you all to be trying to speak in tongues, I'd rather you were all prophesying. I'd rather you were all teaching. So we have these four daughters who are prophesying. They've prophesied. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. We can make a mistake by reading this and going, what, is, what does it mean that he had four daughters who prophesied? Well, let me keep reading. Maybe it'll give me an answer. And then the next paragraph is about Agabus, the prophet. And we say, oh, well, those girls who prophesied must be the same as Agabus, the prophet. Well, this is two different things. Remember, this is a transitionary book. In the book of Acts, we see the prophets die off. Very few prophets appear, and they get less and less, and then they're gone. But the gift of prophecy increases. More people are teaching. More people are evangelizing. More people are becoming elders. More people are working in the church and doing the ministry. So we have a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The definition is really the same. Speaking for God. Explaining God to the people, delivering the message of God to others. The definition is the same. It's the how it takes place that's different. Scripture starts to become the authority. So these four unmarried daughters, here's the point that, that Luke is saying. Philip, the evangelist, lives in Caesarea. We're supposed to automatically connect the dots that this is the same Philip that fled from Saul before. So Philip, the evangelist in Caesarea, just welcomed Paul into his home. And you know what kind of guy Philip is? He's the kind of guy that raised four daughters who are knowledgeable enough in Scripture to be teaching other people. It's a compliment to Philip and his family. Who are they teaching? We don't know. What did they teach? We don't know. They probably taught other women. 
children, uh, Gentiles, and, 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 and really anybody. They were working in the church, in the ministry. They were teaching others the gospel, teaching others how to interpret scripture. They, they prophesied. But then verse 10, we have Agabus, and it says a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And, and I, I want you to notice this, a prophet. The prophet here is his title. It's his title. This, this is what he does for God. This is, God is using him in, in this office. So one through four here in your notes, the daughters are not called prophets, they prophesy. And you can reason that through. You can have people who aren't professional teachers who teach, right? They're, they're not prophets, but they prophesy. The daughters taught truth from scripture okay the daughters taught truth from scripture agabus is a prophet speaking directly for god agabus number four gave a new truth from god which was not from scripture what was his new truth you're going to be handed over to the gentiles he was building on the truth paul had already received you're going to be arrested you're going to be put in prison and things are going to get difficult so we have prophesying being teaching, and we have prophesying being foretelling the future, and we have, we have an overlap. We have the old still there, and the, the new taking place, and eventually the old will be gone, and the new will be permanent. And that's why Paul says, I wish that all of you prophesied. He's not wishing that everyone was telling the future. That would be ridiculous. Moving on to F, working our way down in verse 12 now. It says, when the people heard this, we and the people pleaded. It's interesting who the we is. The we would include Luke, maybe Timothy, the people, all definitely the people that were traveling with Paul. He says, when we heard this, we pleaded. What did they plead? They pleaded Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Again, they heard the right message. That's number one in news. They heard the right message, but they had the wrong response. The right message was it's going to be really hard for Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be put in prison. And then we just found out he's going to be turned over to the Gentiles, which probably means the Romans. So they got the right message, the wrong response. They heard this is what's going to happen, and they said, we can, we can get out of this. Verse 13, it says, why, Paul says, why are you weeping? He says, I'm ready I'm ready to be bound. I'm also ready to die. It's the same message. Paul stood there and heard Agabus at the exact same time the people heard Agabus. They heard the exact same message. Their response was, no, don't go. Paul's response was, why are you saying that? I'm totally ready to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm ready to be bound. Put me in prison. If I die according to God's will, then I die. So it's the same message, but now we have the right response. We have the right response. Verse 14 is some good news. They had a little argument. It says, when, when, we, when Paul could not be dissuaded, when we couldn't talk Paul out of going, their response was, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. So it's still the same message. Now we have the correct conclusion. We have the correct conclusion. The correct conclusion is that this is part of God's plan the reason Paul was told about it was so he could prepare himself. The reason they were told about it was so they could encourage him. 
they finally come to grips and said the Lord's will be done, and they probably prayed for him and sent him on his way. That takes us through verse 16. In Acts 21, 17 through 26, we have that, that long story of, of what's going on. Let's just look at it in our notes. Verse 22 is the key. Verse 23 is the second half. They ask the question, what shall we do? And then they, they say, well, this is what we're going to do. What shall we do? Referred to the fact that there was a whole lot of Christians in Jerusalem that weren't ready to give up their Jewish ways. They weren't ready to give up the law. They weren't ready to say things are new, things are different. We're all on the same page. It's Jew, Greek, man, woman. We're all the same. We all get saved the same way. We all live the same way. They weren't ready for that. They were still clinging to their Jewish things. And so they heard about Paul. And when Paul was coming to town, they were getting upset going, hey, that guy's coming here. That guy who's teaching these things is coming here. And they heard this stuff probably from people that didn't like Paul. It was probably mostly false accusations. All right? But they heard this, and they said, what are we going to do? What shall we do? Well, what they decided was, we're going we're gonna to put this little scheme together. We're going to put on a play in front of the people. And Paul, this is the part you're going to play. And you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. People are going to see that, and they're going to think you're okay. And then when they think you're okay, we'll be good. That was the big idea. All right? So basically, so there's a lot of people who think, and here's our plan to get you out of it. So aid your notes. It's the right question. It is the right question. What are we going to do? We have all these people who are thinking the wrong thing, but it was the wrong answer. It was the wrong answer. We know it's the wrong answer because of how it turned out. We also know it's the wrong answer because of what it required. So B, rather than speak the truth with gentleness and respect and correct wrong thinking, they try to appease. Appeasement never seems to work. I tried to think of an example where appeasement worked, and it doesn't ever seem to work out in the end. But they wanted to appease the Jewish people who were angry by portraying Paul as living by the law. What they should have done is they should have brought Paul in and said, hey people, let's hear from Paul. And let Paul explain what he's teaching and why he's teaching it so they can hear the truth of what he's teaching and the reason behind it and understand what Scripture is being said. And they could have had a, a, a united front and, and maybe solved the problem, maybe not, but at least gone forward with the truth. See, this is a compromise situation. And it reminds me an awful lot of when Paul called out Peter in Galatians. Now this event you can read about in Galatians 2 happened somewhere between Acts 13 and 16. So it's in the past. Basically, Peter was in town and he was eating with all the Gentiles, having a good time. Everything was great. And a bunch of Jews showed up and then he backed off. Now, all of a sudden, he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles because the Jews were there watching. And Paul called him out. And he says, you're being a hypocrite, Peter. And Peter had to repent. This sounds very similar. We'll talk about what happened next, but I'll give you a, a little clue. When their, when their play played out, then all the Jews got mad and arrested him. So it didn't really work, right? So they had the, the right question and the wrong, the wrong answer. They tried appeasement and compromise. And we're going to stop here because we, we don't have time to go any farther, but I want to fill in these last six lessons we can learn. Number one lesson, sometimes 
we can hear the right message and draw the wrong conclusion. These were all good people. These were all believers. These were all righteous. These were all people serving in the church. These were all good people. They, they heard the right message and they drew the wrong conclusion. And we just need to realize and admit that sometimes we can also hear the right message but draw the wrong conclusion. We're human. That's going to happen. We need to, uh, we need to embrace that. Number two, sometimes, again, even the best among us can listen to bad advice and follow it. Paul listened to bad advice and followed it. His team listened to bad advice and followed it. Whoever came up with it that convinced the Jewish leadership this is what they should do, the Jewish leadership listened to bad advice and followed it. So sometimes we can hear the right message and draw the wrong conclusion. Sometimes we can hear bad advice and follow it. Three, again, sometimes it is our emotions that drive us to the wrong conclusion. We know in the second situation it was their emotions. We assume it was in the first situation, their emotion. No, we don't want Paul to get hurt. No, we don't want, we don't want Paul to go to Jerusalem and be arrested. No, we need to stop this any way we can. Emotions get in the way. We should never make a decision based solely on our emotional response. We have to learn how to balance our emotions with truth. With what has God said? What has God instructed? Maybe my emotions are in conflict with what God's asking. Sometimes our emotions get us into trouble. Number four, hopefully, someone will be present to draw us back into alignment. Paul was the one in, in, in situation number two where he said, hey, why are you, why are you talking like this? I'm ready. Paul was the one there, but there was nobody in the third situation. There was nobody to say, hey, guys, this is a bad idea. We should not be fighting against God like this. We just need to, we have truth on our side. Hopefully you have someone who can bring you back into alignment, which means you need to listen to wise people. You need to get opinions here and there. You need to pray about things a lot. But number five, here's the beauty of it all. Even though sometimes we hear the right message and draw the wrong conclusion, and even though sometimes we listen to bad advice and follow it, and even though sometimes... We let our emotions drive us rather than truth and logic. And, and sometimes there is no one to, to pull us back into alignment. Even if all that's true, number five, regardless, regardless, God's will is not in jeopardy, nor are his plans hindered. God's will is not in jeopardy. God, God doesn't go, great, now you ruined everything. Now what am I supposed to do? God never has that reaction. Paul, God got done what God needed to get done here. He will get done what he needs to get done in your life. He will get done what he needs to get done in the world. Because these things, these types of things don't get in his way. Which is comforting because when I do draw the wrong conclusion, when I do move on emotion, when I don't listen to good advice but listen to bad advice, and I realize it, it's not like God scratches my name off the list and goes, well, I can't work with you anymore. God is still working in your life. He's still going to use you. He still hears your prayers. You're still his child. And, th and that's a big thing. And then the last one, I don't know how you feel about this one. It's sort of comforting to me. It's nice to see that Paul once again proves to be human. The great Apostle Paul. Human. Remember, remember back when he had the big fight with Barnabas and they couldn't get over it so they parted ways? That was Paul being human. Remember when, when Paul wanted to rush into the theater and, and, and tell everyone what for? 
when they were trying to arrest him, and his disciples said, no, Paul, don't do it. And then his friend in the government said, no, Paul, don't do it. And then God worked it out. Paul was being human. And, and, and here, Paul listened to some bad advice, and it didn't work out very well. And Paul was being human. We're all human. We're all going to make these mistakes. Just like God wasn't done with Paul, God's not done with us. So, I hope in those details, in these four or five, six little lessons in there, I hope something spoke to you. I hope that you said, oh, that's true. Or, oh, I needed to hear that. Or, oh, I'm going to work on that. Lots of little things. I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask God to let that sink in. Father, thank you so much for the blessings you provide for us in your scripture. Thank you for letting us see how things worked out between Paul and Philip. Thank you for letting us see the kind of man Philip turned into, the evangelist, the father of four daughters that prophesied. Thank you for letting us see the mistakes that were made, an accurate accounting of of truthful events so we can see how mistakes can be made, but how even with the mistakes, your, your will is not distorted. Thank you that we can rely on you in every way. Lord, help us to do this. Help us to be your people. Help us to serve you well this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.